Just a little recap, a review of last week. I, I told you I would do a two-part series, and uh, this is going to be on like Old Covenant marriage and New Covenant marriage. And today we're going to be covering the New Covenant. Last week we, we were in the book of Hosea. And Hosea, he was a prophet of God, and he was told, I want you to go marry uh, a woman who is in whoredom, so a prostitute. And I want you to marry her, and you're going to have kids with her. And remember, Israel, the nation of Israel, was surrounded by the Assyrians, and they were plagued with idol worship and uh, just sin and demons and everything bad just surrounded them, and that influenced their worship. And so Hosea was told, he said, I want you to go, God told Hosea, go and marry this prostitute. And he says, and this is what this is going to represent. It is like God being married to the nation of Israel who has been unfaithful. Israel being the bride and God being the groom. And he says, Hosea, I want you to feel what I feel so that you can present this message clearly and as much truth as you can. And that's what Hosea did. He experienced what that was like. And so he was passionate about it. Um, And so now, today we're going to talk about what is the new covenant? If God was married to an unfaithful bride of Israel, how did he fix it? And so today we're going to talk about Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. And so, um, if you will, uh, today, well, first off, before you can turn in your, uh, your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We're going to read 22 through, tw- or 22 through 33, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. But I want us to keep one thing in mind today, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46. The Bible talks about how Adam, when God created Adam, it represented the natural, the natural man. Think of, think of a husband, or you know, think of a, a husband and wife, and they have a baby, and 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 they're raising this baby, and they're helping the baby. I mean, it's really relevant to our church because there's so many kids. But you have to you have to walk the baby, you have to feed the baby, you have to take care of the baby, you know, and you, you you're you're just almost step, you know, each step is behind your baby, and you're you're helping your baby along. And then, that's kind of like the Old Testament. That was God walking with the nation of Israel. Like they were a baby, like they were an infant. And so that's the natural. Well, the new is the spiritual. It says first comes the natural, then the spiritual. And the spiritual of the New Testament is when Jesus, when he died and rose again and he gave us the Holy Spirit, we live in the Spirit. It's spiritual. So think of the Old Testament as the natural And the New Testament is the spiritual. And if we keep that in mind, it will help us understand uh, what we're going over today. I have a lot of notes, and I I just hope that that we can condense them to to where we have have a good time with these, uh, but you understand these. Uh, Let's let's turn into Ephesians 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, starting at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as his own body. He who loves his wives loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife or cleave only to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. So as we can see, uh, I, I got a couple of pictures. I got married. I got engaged in 1999. I moved up to Michigan from Alabama in 1999. Got a picture of, uh, I don't, did we get the pictures? Yeah, we did. Yeah. I had an eye infection uh, in my right eye, and it's dark over there. But um, it was bad. That day, I had like one really red eye. I had hair, kind of, and I had sideburns, but I also had an eye infection. And, uh, and I got married. Me and Steph, my wife Stephanie, we got married September 16th in the year 2000. And this is a picture of Stephanie. Oh, yeah, there's Stephanie. That's her. And then there's a picture of us. Yeah, that was awesome. So uh, <laughs> if you grow a beard, you don't get that all the time. <laughs> Am I right, men? Okay. <laughs> but we made our vows at the church. Uh, we said our vows to each other. And that was b- b- before our family and before God. And we made a covenant. We made a marriage covenant together. And uh, I thought we would talk a little bit about the Old Testament covenant. Uh, exactly what is a covenant in, in the first place, right? Because you're thinking, I got my marriage license. To some of you who are married today, I got my marriage license. And that shows that I'm you know, married. I have a ring. And it's a circle. It's like there is no beginning and there is no end, right? So I have a sign or a token of the marriage. But in the Old Testament... What are we talking about when we talk about covenant? Testament itself means covenant, Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. So what is a covenant? And here's just a a broad definition of of, of covenant. It's an agreement. It's greater than a promise between two parties, and it's ratified by blood. So this stays in effect until one of the persons or parties dies. And that's why you say, till death do us part. So God made a covenant with Abraham, which was a conditional covenant. Now, you remember last week whenever we talked about how Israel entered into a covenant uh, through Abraham? And he's like, if you obey me and, and, and do my commandments, then I will bless you. If you disobey my commandments or anybody does anything against you, then I will curse you or I will curse them. It's like an if then. So it was conditioned. It was conditional covenant. In Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham and he says, I want you to, uh, to leave the land that you're in and I want you to go and I'll take you to the promised land. 
And so Abraham, he left all his, his stuff and he, and he started to follow God. In Genesis chapter 15, we see that uh, God is initiating this covenant. And it says that, that, uh, that God killed some animals and he cut them in half and he placed them on, on each side. And then as we can read it from Genesis 15 and chapter 17... It said that, that God put Abraham to sleep, in a deep sleep, and God, as a smoking fire pit or a smoking fire pot, I mean, this, I don't know how to envision that, but I just imagine this, this flame of, like, smoke or whatever passing down in between the aisle, and there's dead animals over here, and there's dead animals over here cut in half, and God passes in between them. So you're thinking, hey, you ever been to a marriage ceremony and they walk down the center aisle? Why do they do that? Well, God was basically saying, if, if I break this covenant with you, then let me be cursed just like the animals I've cut in half. Oh, yeah. And so when the, that married couple is standing up on stage and they're saying vows to each other and they're before everybody, you guys are the dead animals. Okay? <laughs> Keep that in mind. And so the sign of this old covenant was circumcision. And it said that all males will be circumcised on the eighth day. And that was the ratification by blood. All right? Now, as a baby on the eighth day, that's awesome. For Abraham, being an older man, that was probably bad. That was terrible. Uh, don't Google it. All right. So it says, if you obey me, you, you are blessed. If you don't, then I will curse you. If then covenant. So the marriage covenant. Let's talk a little bit about what was a marriage covenant in the Old Testament. And as, as I did some research on this, actually kind of cool, all right? The groom's father would initiate the, the marriage itself. The groom's father. And so it said that when he in, initiated the engagement or the betrothal, that's what they called it in there, for his son. And so the groom's father would sign legal documents pledging his son to a chosen girl. Sometimes this was done before the children were even born. There would be, like, there would be families in, in the like mind, in the like you know, religion of, of Israel. And they would say, hey, if I have a boy and you have a girl, or vice versa, or vice versa, it would say, uh, how about I would like to already just plan ahead and say, uh, let's, let's have our children marry. You have a good family. We have a good family. And so let's go ahead and set that up now. They would sign legal documents. And the groom, that was initiated by the groom's father. The groom's father would then pay a dowry price or a dowry payment. So it was basically like paying a down payment to say, uh, that girl that you're going to have or that girl that you have, she's going to belong to my son. Kind of weird in our you know, culture, really. But that's called a dowry price. So marriage in the New Testament. Let's check out. It's a little bit different, all right? Ephesians 5, 20 through, 22 through 24. And this starts off really weird, okay? Wives. Right off the bat. Wives, submit. And you can just close your Bible. And well, let's pray. And let's <laughs> we just leave it at that. And then Larry will have to pick up the pieces next week. Whoever shows up, you know... <laughs> Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, 
and is himself the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. When Paul addressed wives, and, and some of these, this commentary was taken from this pastor, his name was Art Azurdia. And I listened to some of these sermons, and just what he had to say was great. And so I, I even did a Bible study about it a few weeks ago. But the idea was, when Paul addressed women, he said women. And it was like everybody else could have just stepped out of the room. And he was just saying, I'm going to just talk to women. Very, very weird in this time and age and culture when Paul did that. Because you didn't address just women. Women weren't thought of as the way women are thought of in our country or how, how we're raised. There are still some cultures that, that view women as property. You know, they have a duty, they have responsibilities. Uh, they're going to be a homemaker, they're going to have the kids and stuff, but they don't, they don't have to contribute m- much more than that. And so when Paul says wives, this was kind of a mind-blowing deal. He says, wives, submit. Let me give you um, a better idea of what this means, okay? This is from Mr. Azurdia, the pastor. Voluntarily yielding to the leadership of a husband in love. Voluntarily yielding to the leadership of your husband in love. And then we see in uh, Ephesians 5.25, if y'all turn there, husbands love. Ain't that weird? It didn't say husbands submit, husbands lead. It says husbands love. Now, it's kind of, it is kind of an odd deal, right? Wives submit, you know, volunteer, voluntarily yield uh, to the leadership of your husband. And then, and you're like, yeah, but do you know my husband? And I can just, you know, I'm married, I know, I got a wife. You know, and I could hear, like, women saying this. Are you, do you know my husband? Do I voluntarily yield to his leadership? You know, you don't know my husband. Well, husbands, pay attention. It says husbands love. Husbands, love. Love your wives. Now, this love is an agape love. That's the Greek word, agape. And, it's, it, and, and the idea is so much deeper than what you're thinking. It's, it's an unselfish, sacrificial love. It's not erotic. It's not lustful. It's not emotional love. But it's an unceasing commitment for the highest good on your wife's greatest behalf. You're looking out for her best. Agape love. Doesn't matter how she looks. Doesn't matter how she smells. How she dresses. You know, you got one flip-flop on and one high heel on today. It's cool. I agape you. All right? (laughs) Overlooks all that. It's a deeper love. But we got to keep this in mind. It says, as Christ loved the church. What if Christ... Decided to love us by the way we looked or by the way we smelled or by our flip-flop high heel ordeal and stuff. Well, you know what? He does. Because I've smelled y'all. All right? <laughs> y'all don't have to post this. I'm sorry. <laughs> I keep forgetting that we record this. We just cut it. All right? Edit. Ephesians 5, as Christ loved the church... The church, and we hear this in the New Testament, the New Testament marriage covenant. What is the church? 
What is the church? How do you define the church? Old Testament, it was a nation of Israel. If you were a Jew, right? Okay, New Testament, the church. The Old Testament, it was Abraham, his offspring. Israelites, the Jews, it was by circumcision. And he gave them the law. And he says, if you obey my commandments and the law, then I will bless you. It was a conditional covenant. But the new covenant or the church are those in faith like Abraham. It says, Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteous. And that's from Romans 4, 4, 3. Those who are like Abraham, who believed in their heart, who have faith. So just like Abraham, he trusted and had faith in God. The new covenant church depends on a person's faith in Jesus. Because it rests on grace, not circumcision of the flesh. The new covenant is circumcised of the heart. In Genesis 3, 26 through 29, it talks talks about being circumcised of the heart. And it says this. These are the people group that can be circumcised of the heart. Man or woman. Slave or free. Jew or Gentile. That's a big deal, guys. That's a very big deal going from your Old Testament, which it was Jew only. And I mean like, in order to be a Jew, it was a nationality. It was, it, it was um, you had legal papers from your family that would say, you know, I'm a Jew, you're a Jew, let's marry. We're going to have Jews and, you know, don't, don't intermarry with other pagan cultures because then that, that mixes up the purity of our nation. And so then the New Testament saying, man, woman, slave, free, doesn't matter, Jew, Gentile. And you're like, whoa. Paul, and it, you know, when Paul explained himself, he's like, I'm a Jew above all Jews. Hebrew of all Hebrews. Circumcised on the eighth day. And he starts telling about why he was a legitimate Jew. And then he says something like this. And it blew people's minds. Jeremiah prophesied, he goes, I will put, God speaking, I will put my law on their minds. I will write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jeremiah prophesied that a few hundred years before Christ. That was the whole idea. It was saying, we're tired of the old covenant that's written in stone of the law. We want to write it on their hearts. We want them to be circumcised of the heart. If you can, look at uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. And this is, will kind of drive home the point of, well, then who is the old, you know, what's the old covenant? What's, what's the new Israel, basically? This is Romans, Romans 2, 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew... Who is merely one outwardly, meaning circumcised, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And the circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by a letter. His praise is not man, but from God. That is some heavy words from the Apostle Paul. He rocked the Jewish nation by that. And they're saying, but we are the nation of Israel. We are the chosen of God. And he goes, yes. And now there's also others. 
It's not about being a man or a woman or a slave or free or being a Jew or a Gentile. It's those in Christ by faith. So the new Israel is one saved and bought by the blood of Jesus, forgiven of sin, circumcised of the heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the new bride of Christ. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness, God had to put his own son Jesus to death. Remember, they were in covenant till death do us part. And you're thinking, how did they get out of the old covenant? Well, who died? God himself in the flesh died via Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He was nailed to the cross, bled for our sins, and died to the old covenant. He broke the old covenant and he, he established in that a new and a better covenant. And then you can read this in, the, in uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 8 and verse, in, in chapter 10. 8.13 talks about how the old covenant is obsolete to establish the new. So in this love that Christ had for the church, it said that that love for the new bride was a very particular love. Let's look at Ephesians 5, 25 and 27. 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Right? He died for her. So that, and I love those two words, so that. Anytime you're reading scripture and you see these two, two words, so that, here's what you're getting into. Here's the purpose. Here's the plan. Behind what was just being said. Here's the purpose and the plan for what I just said. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with a word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And see, I want you to hear the, that particular love that Jesus Christ has for the church, right? Her. Her. He's like particular love for her. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her. He washed her with the water of the word. So that he might present the church or her to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle. Hear that? So husbands... Love her. It's particular. This wasn't just this a generic love for all that was just kind of thrown out there and was like, love, you know, everybody wins. It wasn't like that. It was a very particular love. And he says, I love her and I want to make her holy and I want to sanctify her. And this is for her. So it was a focus. It was proposed. It was exclusive Effectual, particular love for his bride. And then it says, in the same way, wife, submit. Who is she submitting to? Everybody? Her husband. It's very particular. So who's the wife in this? The church. Yes. The church, submit to Christ. To Jesus. And that's the idea when you read this. It's so much more than just like, wives, hear what you're supposed to do. Husbands, now listen up. 
It's saying, church, submit because Christ loved. So, husbands, here's just a very practical application out of this. Husbands, myself, do we love our, uh, our wives with this particular exclusive kind of love? Husbands, is your wife the only woman that you think about? That's in your heart. And I mean like only God knows that, right? Husbands, are there other images or ideas or wants that you have other than your wife? What about your eyes? Do they want other images of lust and desire for other women as well? Is that the love that Christ wants us to have towards our wives? And I don't say that, I don't, I'm not saying that to the men or to the husbands that's sitting in this room as, as I'm not guilty. But I'm saying that as we need to listen up. Men. Because to be a real man, you love that wife of yours. And I say that to myself. And only her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It was a purposeful love that he had. So why did Jesus lay down his life for the sacrifice for his bride? Why did he lay down his life? Ephesians 5.26 So that he might sanctify her to make her holy, to cleanse her by the washing her with the word. This is the moral transformation in all this. And this moral transformation of making her holy and set apart uh, is what holy means. And, and cleansing her with the word of God. It's, it, this, this meaning of, of all that, it, it's, it's the idea of being always ongoing, always progressing, uniquely set apart. It's just a constant. It's a constant. Now, if I was to ask anybody, now, referring to us as the church, do we constantly need to be made holy and to be cleansed, washing of the word, having the word put in our minds and on our hearts constantly, daily? Yes, we do. Absolutely. There's no doubt. But Jesus' blood on the cross, it was the dowry payment to do this. The blood of Jesus was the payment to redeem the bride. And so the purpose of that, it was to make the church holy. And in 2 Corinthians uh, eleven two, it talks about how the church is, was made into a, a, a chaste virgin. To be made so pure that it was given the name virgin. To be pure and without blemish. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says that we were ransomed and inherited by the blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus is what bought us. That was our payment. And here's the practical application of that. When it says, Ephesians 5, 28, it says, Husbands, you ought to or you should love your wife. The word ought or should, it means that that's our moral obligation out of this. 
It's a divine and holy responsibility. It's always, it's ongoing. It's an unconditional love for your wife. Beauty fades, right? It's to present the bride, the church, without spot or blemish, right? So it's not conditioned on how this bride looks physically, right? So as we get older, I was talking about this just a couple of nights ago, and uh, they were talking about moisturizer. I don't know. This one of our friends, she was talking about moisturizing her face. And I was like, yeah. And they talked about coconut oil, oil, however y'all say it, oil, coconut oil. And they're like, if you put some coconut oil around your eyes and your forehead where you get wrinkles, then, you know, it can help take away. And I'm like, I know, I've been trying that. It's like, but when I smile, I was like, yeah, they're like crow's feet. And I was like, no, it's like a whole nest of blackbirds that just landed. You know, there's too, too many, a lot of feet, a lot of feet in there. A lot of rivers in the head, you know. doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter. Because beauty fades in time. Right, Steph? Right? I used to have hair. <clears throat> and a messed up eye. But, uh, <laughs> but love is not conditioned on this. It doesn't matter. Agape love. That's what matters. The ultimate purpose, though, is in Ephesians 5.31. Ephesians 5.31, it says, Therefore, and this is from Genesis chapter 2 also, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or hold fast. The idea of being cleaved together is kind of like if you take two objects in, in, you know, let's say you take two pieces of paper and you glue them with all the strongest, craziest glue ever and they are together and the two pieces of paper come one, like compressed into one. And there's no way ever to separate that again. Because when you do, it rips and, and, you know, and it gets torn and blemished and it's never the same, right? So this idea of becoming one, it says you will leave your father and mother, cleave or hold fast to your wife, and the two shall become one flesh. One flesh. And when was this prepared? The idea of this. Ephesians chapter 1, it says that before the foundation of the world, he chose her, he bought her, he prepared her as the most beautiful spotless bride. He walked her down the aisle himself and he united himself to her in one flesh. That's the idea. Before the foundation of the world, he paid the price. He already had it in mind. He already had the plan there. And it's like God sent his son Jesus to meet at the center aisle And he says, oh, where's my bride? You know what? I will create my bride. Is my bride sinful? Well, she was till I died for her. Then my blood cleansed her and I made her beautiful and spotless with no wrinkles, with no sin. I walked her down the aisle and you know what? I held her hand and I did the ceremony myself. Jesus Christ. Boom, right there. That's what Jesus can do. It's Jesus. The blood of Jesus is that powerful. So here's the results of the new covenant, okay? The results of the new covenant. Marriage ceremony, it's initiated by Jesus Christ to his bride, the church. Husbands and wives, Jesus and the church, one flesh. Husbands and wives get married, one flesh. 
Jesus in the church, one flesh. It's not conditioned on anything. It's not an if you do this, then I'll do this. It's what Jesus did and what Jesus has already done on the cross. What did Jesus say when he died on the cross? It said he stretched out his arms and said what? It is finished. Those are, those are some very, very powerful words. Dave Collins is going to be doing a Bible study on what Jesus said on Sunday nights. And I encourage you all to go and hear those messages. That's the last thing he said. It is finished. It is complete. It is awesome. It is beautiful. That is to my bride. And in verse 32, this mystery was revealed. Y'all look at Ephesians 5.32. This mystery is profound, but I am saying that this mystery refers to Christ in the church. So marriage between a man and a woman is the mystery being revealed, and it was revealed way back in Genesis chapter 2, when a husband met his wife, and, and they left their father and mother, cleaved to each other, and it says that even back then it was referring to Christ and the church. That's the revelation of it all. A husband vows to love his wife till death. Jesus loves his bride, the church, for eternity. So marriage reflects the eternal oneness or the eternal unity of Christ and the church. So in closing today, what I've been saying to y'all, you might be sitting there thinking, well, what if I ain't married? That's a great question. What if I've been divorced? That's a great question. What if I'm married and I messed up? That's a great question. My marriage isn't that great. That's a good thought. I can't change what our past is. I can't. I can tell you this, your past doesn't determine your future. It doesn't define who you are. Not in Jesus. You know that that stupid term, history repeats itself? That's a... That's as bad as that song playing right now. (laughs) That's a terrible saying. History repeats itself, you know. Well, that's what you are. You're defined the rest of your life. No, you're not. No, you are not. Not in Jesus Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You have been cleansed and sanctified and made holy, and you are righteous in Jesus Christ. You are his bride. You think he's going to let anything happen to his bride? We can try our best to mess things up, but I'm telling you, we're married. We are one. It's eternal. Our past does not determine or it doesn't even proclaim our future. If you're single, awesome. Pray for a husband that will love you as Christ loves the church. And you will voluntarily yield to that leadership any day. Because Jesus purchased us, the church, those who were forgiven and saved by the blood, and he loves us. So we submit to his authority and his will. Because why? Because we love him. He loved us. He first loved us. And we love him. And we served him. If y'all will, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to close with this. Let's pray. After we read this. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. 
Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter in the holy places by the blood of Jesus, you can pray right to Jesus Christ. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to do that. You can go right to the feet of Jesus. We have confidence by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh that was torn. And since we have the greatest priest, Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Full assurance. You ever go, I mean, I don't know if I'm saved. If you're bought by the blood of Jesus, you will have full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, which is the word. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. And because of that, we are his bride. Yes, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that this new covenant that we are in with you is not conditioned on us. We would mess it up. We would send it away. But Jesus, thank you for dying and cleansing us and sanctifying us and making us holy to be your bride. And thank you for being just the best husband ever. God, thank you that we are joined as one. You have given us your Holy Spirit as the Son. And God, I just pray that, that, that your Holy Spirit would be in us and in our hearts and on our minds to let us do your will. Because you love us and in return we love you. Jesus, thank you for your word and may it change us forever, always ongoing. In Jesus' name, amen.